Gal and Terry Kavari. Oh, I messed that up. Let's do that again. <laughs> oh, no, keep it, keep it. Oh, my God, that's so bad. How many times have you been on the show, Terry? And I've got your surname wrong. Phil Stagal and Terry Canova join me for the penultimate episode of our series covering the Mid-South Wrestling and UWF promotions. Well, I say penultimate, it might well be the last one we call this UWF the final year. What a terrible, terrible opening. That's absolutely awful. But as you said, Terry, I'm going to keep it in. I'm not doing it again. How are you doing, Terry? How is all in your world at the moment? I am good. I'm good. I, uh, you know, as as many of you know, I'm a basketball coach, a high school girls basketball coach, and we're actually in the middle of a tournament right now. Uh, but we don't play on Sunday, so uh, we played yesterday. Uh, we took a big fat L. Uh, we're, we're five and two. We have we have a pretty good start. Uh, so so today I'm gonna uh, do a little mid south UWF with my friends here. Uh, we're gonna watch a little NFL football, help celebrate my dad's birthday, and then I'm gonna Very get on nice. some film. Yeah, I'm gonna get on some film and uh, and try and bounce back from this big fat L. You know, try and get back in the win column. So, so that's so me. Sa- so the Saints are five and five at the moment. And are, are you playing today or? or... The, the Saints are on a bye. So, bye week. so okay. today, today is stress free. Yeah. Unless uh, unless I'm in the in the money for uh, one of my DraftKings lineups, and then uh, you know <laughs> we'll see how that goes. See how it goes. I've caught a little bit more NFL than I usually do this this uh, this season, and I'm I'm enjoying it so far. Obviously, all the Taylor Swift, uh, Travis Kelsey stuff is keeping me uh, <laughs> keeping me somewhat interested. How, how's all in your world, Phil? You know, we're doing well. So it's a great day to do a, a podcast. We just came off a week of absolutely perfect weather which is rare for fall in oklahoma and then today we've got a cold rain i'm hearing thunder outside so good day to be inside to talk with old friends about a very old topic absolutely how are the students sorry i did i did watch some college football which is not a regular thing for me but in in england when the when when it, the english football team is playing there's no premier league so like a bye week for you guys this week terry the whole league is basically on a bye week that week because the players, the English players play for national. So we've got no Premier League football this weekend. So I was finding myself watching more obscure sports yesterday, hence why I messaged you guys about college football yesterday evening and why the guys weren't wearing knee pads, which I found for some reason I was fixated on this for about 15 minutes. But yeah, so and who knew there was a team? Was it Wake Forest? I've never heard of those those guys in my life. I heard of, obviously heard of Notre Dame. Yeah. Are they quite a good, Wake Forest? No, not now. Basketball, Terry, they're a lot better than they are than they are in football. Okay. Correct. They're more yeah, of a basketball so school. They are. They are. They're in the ACC, so you know they're in a, in a tough league. But uh, from a from a basketball standpoint, you may remember the name Tim Duncan. They played for the Spurs. Uh, Tim Tim Duncan was a Wake Forest guy. Ah, uh, okay. And how are the Sooners? So I should have checked that. I, I checked the Saints, but I didn't quite get time to check the Sooners. So how are the Sooners doing uh, this well, year? Well, they, so they, they won yesterday. They won yesterday. So they're about, I think they're at nine and two, which is a solid year for anybody. But um, there's always 20 or 30% of the Sooner fans, if you're not undefeated, they're just absolutely calling for everybody's job. We just had so <laughs> many years of 11, 12, and 13. You know, it's just they're spoiled. Uh, we got a coach that took over a team in shambles last year, went six and seven. So it looks like this year they'll be 10 and two. So we should be ecstatic that we're doing so well. Now, it looks like our starting quarterback went out uh, just for halftime yesterday with a concussion. Oh, dear. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's out. It uh, looks like he won't get to play next week, but I think we'll be all right. So will that be enough to get you to the – okay, so I read something over the weekend. Is it the 12-team playoffs in college football? Or is that next season? 
Okay, so the way it works is first you have most conferences have a conference championship. Yeah. So uh, the Sooners are what to call the Big Twelve, which ironically went from you know ten teams to sixteen teams. So it's not been twelve teams for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a conference championship that is very important, and the Sooners uh, the past twenty years have dominated that. Um, Texas only has won one or one or two conference championships, where the Sooners have won more than a dozen, and it's. Um, but it they're going to have a tough time. We got one. Every, we got one more week of the regular season. Uh, the Sooners will need a couple of teams to lose for them to get back into the conference championship. Right. Okay. Now, ironically, it looks like Texas will probably be in, and Texas will probably win it the way it looks. And ironically, early in the year, Oklahoma will beat Texas. Ah, but okay. they're going to still get in ahead unless and Texas is going to have to lose and Oklahoma State. And a couple teams will have to lose. Oklahoma could back in, but it's not likely. But so then that- after that, then after that, they pull Terry. Are we going to? Is it more than four this year, or is it next year? You know, honestly, man, I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't follow college that closely, uh, but uh, I, I'm not sure. They're fixing to expand the playoffs mm. uh, for for decades, <laughs> centuries. There was no playoff. It was the bowl game system, and then just voting, and it was called the mythical national championship because. Two best teams probably didn't play. You know? Yeah. Uh, so then a number of years ago, they had a two-team playoff. They picked the two best teams, and that was a championship game. Then they expanded it to four. Um, so it's been a four-team championship uh, for several years. They're fixing to expand it. Mm. Probably go to eight first. But, yeah, they're going to expand it, which is better. Uh, Division One college football is the only – sport of any kind that did not have a playoff system yeah it sounds exciting the thing i was reading so i think that would be good is it would texas be like your i presume you'd want anyone on earth to win it anything other than them i presume absolutely the biggest rival um it's no you texas rivalry is considered one of the top five in college football Mm. wouldn't you say terry uh terry didn't follow college Uh, for sure yeah 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 so you got you know, you got Michigan and Michigan State and, and a couple other big, big rivalries. But many people argue that it's the biggest rivalry in college football. And Jim Ross even mentions it in one of the episodes where mm. fixed the walls. You know, of course, Jim Ross is always going to uh, shield for the Sooners. Uh, Absolutely. But, yes. Yeah. But that it is. You're right. We'd rather anybody but Texas. Absolutely. It's a bit like Fulham and Chelsea. And Terry, who are Saint, who are Saints sort of rivals? Is it would it be like Atlanta or some one of the Texans te- Texas teams, or or is it is there not a natural one? No, you, you know the interesting thing, uh, Stephen, is uh, the Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons, have always been a big rival. Uh, mm. However, when when the Saints got really good under Sean Payton and Drew Brees and were contending for for Super Bowls. You know, instead of just uh, a division championship, it really sort of morphed, you know, uh, then it kind of became the the Vikings because the Vikings was somebody that was always in their way to a Super Bowl, okay. you know, so it, it's like when the Saints were average to bad, it was the Falcons. But it's like we kind of stepped up our game and, and we we going on to bigger and better. You're uh, beyond them now, beyond the Falcons. Right. Yeah. Now, now, interesting enough, next week off of the bye, it is the Falcons. Mm. And it is a game that is a must win to kind of get us back in the hunt for a playoff in a division. So, so yeah, uh, Falcons and then uh, 
you know, on, on most years, but we, we, we've gotten used to bigger and better fish to fry. Absolutely. Well, we keep my fingers <laughs> crossed for you next week. Um, I must be honest, moving on to the wrestling element of the show, I was a bit worried about your thoughts on these shows because mm. this is a, this is a Crockett magazine show basically now. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll get into it, but I can imagine this is this is. I mean, it's fairly jarring for me to watch it, and I can imagine having not perhaps not watched any for a while. So the episode that aired on November the eleventh, nineteen seventy seven, started with a clip of Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner versus the Sheep Herders, and then we cut to an arena with Magnum alongside Missy Hyatt. Uh, Ron Simmons and Ric Flair would be here versus Ric Flair and Lex. Ron Simmons and Ric Flair would be here versus Ric Flair and Lex. That's not right. Ron Simmons and Steve Williams maybe would be here. We'll get to it. I've got that note wrong. A, t- a terrible start for me this afternoon. Um, you guys should be obviously less with it than me being very early in the morning on a Sunday. But clearly, I, I can't even put it down to alcohol yesterday because I didn't have a, a single drink. Um, Missy Hyatt would be interviewing the sh- Sheep Herders later on. We also then finally got to see the tag titles change as Johnny Ace got involved in the match. And they pulled Horner outside and they got into a fight. I'm not sure why this wasn't a DQ win for the champions, but back in ring, they bumped referee Randy Anderson with a battering ram and then tried to nail Armstrong with the flagpole, but hit their own partner by mistake. Armstrong then had Miller pinned, but Ace then got in with a flagpole, which didn't really look that impressive. And then Armstrong was counted out off screen for new champs, we found out last time on the show. Phil, what talk about this. And also, what are your thoughts in terms of like, the look of this show and just how different this was from what's uwf basically it, it it quickly quickly changed uh it's very different i noticed a lot of uh, differences and i don't remember if i had seen these episodes since they originally aired mm. and probably wasn't missing too much but i i do know there's been a couple of times over the decades where i sat down i thought i watched everything from mid-south and uwf uh but i don't remember seeing these now first of all i do want to say that uh missy hyatt is the epitome of the 1980s look um and probably the best part of the show for me right yeah. so it, um uh now a lot of girls tried to look exactly like that my wife had that hair you know and unless they cut their hair short then they're trying to look like princess diana Oh right. God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we had a lot. We had a lot of that. But uh, can I just? Yeah. I'll just jump in. Do either of you watch The Crown at all on Netflix? I have not. I don't. I don't. No. Okay. Is it? Do, do you? Are you aware of what it? What it is like a dramatization of the royal family, basically. You know what? I am on Netflix almost every single day searching. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen The Crown. Even oh ever really? Heard. Wow. Wow. I get. I, 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 I've I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so it basically, it. starts with it starts with. The queen who passed away last year, basically her father dying, George the sixth, um, around what would that have been late forties. But it's very close. It's very, it is a dramatization, but it's very close to history. So you get to see the monarch with all the. Pro- so one of the things in this country, imagine if you guys had a king, your president would meet with the king, one or king or queen, once a week and talk about politics. But the the monarch couldn't be political, if that makes sense. But they could kind of like give sort of non-partisan guidance but you see all that but i've they've just done the princess diana dying thing in the crown so i've literally watched that this week so you mentioned in diana i'm still like kind of feeling a little bit different about seeing that all again having having lived it sort of 26 years ago but yeah back to back to the hair well, I learned something interesting about princess diana this week uh, i was reading the final words of a famous people and i thought uh, i'd always thought she died instantly in that crash, mm. but apparently she did not. And she was asking, "I don't know this." 
Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she, 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 uh, I think it's one of the paparazzi. She asked, and they had her exact quote, but it was basically, you know, what happened. And then she lost consciousness and, and died at the hospital later, which yeah. I did not. So very tragic at that time. We remember uh, everybody here, uh, all the young ladies just admired Princess Diana a lot. Yeah. yeah. But Definitely back to, yeah, Michelle was epitome of the 80s look. I really enjoyed it. When I remember, I can remember when I first saw Magnum coming back. Uh, and before he's even an announcer, he would come up to to ringside uh um, even got in a little bit of a tussle with somebody but i can remember when i first saw magnum it was a very sad thing yeah uh, it was it uh, it felt like uh almost a, a pity thing letting him come back up but i realized put myself in his shoes that's great for him you know he got to keep working in the industry and yep. everything but by I'm this sure time, he needed the money. I'm sure he needed the money, didn't he? I'm, I'm sure he would have done oh, at this point. Yeah. His income probably took a huge yeah. dive. Yeah. You know. Um, so but it uh but uh you know he does a good job. You know, yeah, fortunately for him, he, fortunately for him, he he was a good uh uh an announcer. Yeah. Terry, any thoughts on the on this opening bit with the, the sheep herders and just and perhaps more generally around the feel of the show and the look of the show now? Well, uh, number one, uh, Phil hit it on the head, one hundred percent. Missy Hyatt, uh, it, it 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 was good to see uh, see Magnum, but but yeah, uh, you, you know, I, I the only thing I could think of as I'm getting ready to come on this this podcast episode because I I don't watch anything uh, this late uh, as, when I'm talking when I say late, you know, eighty seven. Yeah. Um, I'm watching everything before. And so the only reason I watched this was, was cause I knew I'd be with you guys today and, um, dreadful. It, <laughs> it, 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 it was absolutely, you know, the, the, the only thing that kept popping in my head was I'm, I'm going to be talking with my guys about mid South UW, UWF and, and, you know, mid South UWF fans. And this is nothing close to mid south uwf this is nothing close and it, it, you know um there were a couple matches that intrigued me and we'll talk about those when we get to them but it was just ugh. It, yeah. it, you know it, it really it really was and you know while there were a few guys you know who i guess had some lineage to it it just man it, it was it was depressing to watch because uh, this is not our promotion. No, and I think that's a key, really key thing. The last when so when the when the buyout first happened, there was some energy because there were some new faces on the screen. But this has become. Um, I mean, the, the thing that I I sort of keep thinking is if you forget the UWF for a second and just this is just an NWA show, this is a really bad wrestling show. Like if this is to encourage people to buy tickets to local shows or buy shows on pay-per-view which you could do in some areas of the country for the one that was coming up i don't see anyone liking this this is awful this is awful and if you watch if you watch a, and i have watched a few of these if you watch kind of, kind of like a wwf all-american wrestling or something from around that time it's pretty hokey it's pretty cartoonish but it's 100 miles an hour it's get get the star in, squash match, get out, probably some sort of quite good promo, a bit of comedy with Bobby Heenan or G. Oakland. But this is none of that. This is this is just a weird 
kind of offshoot to itself. This is not cartoon like. This is not episodic TV. This is somewhere in this grey area in the middle that just doesn't just doesn't work. And moving forward, um, Jim Ross called the situation of the Tatars a disgrace. And at ringside, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes joined Ross. Garvin said he felt good tonight and asked to kiss Precious. Hayes said everything was so hot and everyone was talking about them. The undefeated Michael Pierce Hayes and gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. He then said Arn Anderson and Tully uh, Blanchard were talking. No, sorry. He said Arn Anderson and Tully Anderson were talking about them, but Garvin corrected him. Hayes said they'd been to the edge. They'd lost a lot of friends and they haven't got any time to waste. I don't like Michael Hayes as a baby face. What did you think of this, Terry? Well, first off, are, are they not the Freebirds? Because they didn't refer to themselves as the Freebirds. Yeah, and I know. I know Jimmy Garvin was part of the Freebirds at one point. So, so that was even confusing to me. They never said the word Freebird once. No. And, and, and so, so that part was kind of confusing to me. You know, J- Jimmy Garvin used to be kind of entertaining to me. And 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 you're right. Michael Hayes as a as a heel on the mic is, is always good. But but this was uh, this was hokey and and again confusing because. I never heard them refer to themselves as the Freebirds. I think they did later on in Crockett because I'm sure I've seen some stuff from '88 yeah. where they were called the Freebirds, definitely. But I don't know what yeah, the reason was here. At one time, yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you That's What did you make of this color, Terry. Yeah. What What did you make of this promo? What are your thoughts on Hayes as a as a babyface? Um, generally, he's one of those people you love to hate, not yeah. loved a lot. Um, uh, you know, he was an excellent heel, an excellent heel. Um. Uh, and some people can make the switch and be as popular, even more popular, whether going one way or the other. You know, I was, I can remember uh, a couple of years ago doing some podcasts with you when you made some, uh, you were, Stephen, you were talking about Terry Taylor and you just oh, yeah. didn't understand popularity, right? You didn't, yeah. you didn't understand his popularity. And I just kind of sat on it because I knew that after that switch, he was a much better heel. He was unbelievable in the run in UWF as a heel. Yeah. But he was a much better heel, whereas it didn't work when Michael Hayes switched for Mm. me. But the Terry Taylor switch, he's one of those heels that you love to hate. Yeah. You know, Uh, and he was a much better uh, heel. Uh, I I, I sat on that for two years waiting for you to make that comment. I finally heard it a couple of of weeks ago on one of your podcasts. Where he's talking about how he's a, a but he's much better. He's he, you know he's excellent on the mic. Yeah, uh, Terry Hayes just seemed out of out of place or disjoint. He didn't didn't know how to be a babyface. Yeah, and I think there's a, not to, not to I, I don't want to talk about AEW because now you guys aren't aren't watching and I could go off on a long tangent. But the, the the main champion in the promotion is a guy that became champion as a heel, but is now a babyface, and he started getting cheers because he was a really good heel. And you know, a bit like Steve Austin. I know you're both. You guys yeah. are both very familiar with him. But Steve Austin, when he became babyface, didn't start. Oh, I just want to do it for the fans, and like, come on, like, just do what you're doing as a heel, but direct your anger at heels, and but yep. but, but play the character that got you to the sure. dance in the first place. But there seems to be this thing where people can't do, can't make that transition, and I, and I think a really good thing for and I, and I, you, you couldn't do it then because it wasn't a, wasn't a star by this point, but. For Babyface in 2023, if you're being pitch creative, a really good thing for you to say is what would Steve Austin do? So would Steve, what would Steve Austin in 1998 do in this scenario? Because I think nine times out of 10, that's the answer for what's going to get you cheered. It isn't always, you know, 
saving the baby phase or pandering to the crowd. It might just be stay out of it or whatever it may be. It might be a bad example. But yeah, I, I thought Hayes was kind of a little bit all over the place here. Um, the first match tonight, and it did look like we were going to get this a more traditional show, uh, which which I was hoping that was going to be good in terms of all from one location rather than chopped up bits from other from other places. And this was the Sheep Herders versus Keith Steinborn and Gary Phelps. Uh, Johnny Ace was in the corner of the Sheep Herders and Jim Ross and Jack Gregory were on commentary. Ross said the Sheep Herders do things a little bit differently and he hopes everyone, everyone from down under wasn't like them. Gregory couldn't work out why Johnny Ace was running around with a flag of New Zealand on his T-shirt. Well, actually, it was a Union Jack, not the flag of New Zealand. Um, right, the sheep, right. the sheep, which I guess you probably couldn't get a flag of New Zealand in yeah. wherever they. Yeah, and I think that's probably the reason. It's not like you could go on Amazon and order one. Um, the sheep herders won in quite a long three minutes and forty-five seconds with a double gut buster um, in a match. I don't think the Job Squad team got a single bit of offense in. I, I thought this was okay but quite long for just the same thing over and over again. Uh, Phil, what did you make of the opener here? Well, you know, um, wasn't any surprises there. Uh, one thing I did notice, Jim Ross, uh, he, he, as he did so many, for so many years in, in working for Bill Watts and Bill Watts did the same thing. They always played up the, the nationality conflict. Or the, yeah. uh, so, you know, he made sure that you knew that, uh, uh, Johnny Ace had on the, he was wearing the, you know, he's an American, but he's wearing the shirt of the sheep herders, you know, yeah. trying to, and they always did that, whether it's the Russians or the Japanese or whoever. So Ross is still working at that, that same angle. Uh, Terry, what do you think of this? Yeah, just just like Phil said, it's kind of like uh, uh, Captain Lou Albino uh, dressing as a, a Samoan, uh, you know, when he was, when he was in the WWF with, with those teams, uh, yeah, you know, sheep herders were always fun to me, um, but but it was almost like with the sheep herders, I want to see their interviews, I want to see their promos, or I want to see a bloodbath. I, I, you know, th them beating up two jobbers, like like you said, it's a lot of the same stuff with them. You, you know, they're not gonna put on a wrestling clinic, so uh, if, if they're not putting a beat down, it's it's uh, it's a lot of the same. Yeah, agree. That we got a War Games adverse. They ran, they ran War Games the night before Starcade, uh, and then back from break, uh, Missy Hyatt was confused about what belts the sheep had as one. And we talked about this in terms of if you were what, and I've watched all of the shows that are available. So there are some, there are some weeks. I guess what are we talking? There's probably there might be twenty episodes, twenty five episodes available from probably twenty from nine eighty seven. So you're talking about just under half. But there's no explanation in here around why are there other than I think um, the NFL guy was like, oh, we're going to do some talent exchanges with the NWA. But there's no explanation around UWF belts and NWA belts and what's going on here. And I think, and, and whether they actually wanted to, to, to stretch this out and do a some sort of interpromotional feud, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, there was a little bit of a, a thing here with the, the Sheep Herders. And Hyatt got a kiss for a trouble from Luke. And he said there wasn't a Yankee team who could take the titles from them. Um I don't, I must be honest. I don't like the shouty promos, but I do really like them throwing the bit of the kind of English slash Australian New Zealand slang into this. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't I didn't mind this. Terry, what do you think of the sheep herders here with Missy? I just uh, I, I I love the sheep herders. I just uh, I, I love them. They're one of the few teams that I liked before and then i even liked when they were a a comedy duo in the wwf yeah probably because they're really the same they're just a a, a little more cart cartoonish 
You know, e- even when they're having blood and guts matches, they still do all the same goofy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's true. Just yeah. w- w- with a lot less band-aids on their forehead, I guess. <laughs> I, <yes. laughs> so what do you think of the sheet patterns with Missy here? Well, yeah. Um no, I didn't I wasn't I didn't like the sheep herders as much as Terry did, but they were there were something different than all a lot of the other teams. Uh, you know, they were truly their own gimmick, their own own thing. So um uh, but yeah, the uh seeing her seeing there with Missy and her reaction to the kiss, the look on her face was uh priceless. If you didn't see it, go back and look. And you he's talking about war games, I was gonna point out, you know. In the commercials, and of course, these two episodes we're reviewing, the entire shows are nothing but a commercial for what they got coming up. Yeah, you know, they did some of that uh, in in the old uh, Mid South Wrestling, but not anywhere near this much. That's no. that's one of the big things that changed. The voiceovers during the matches promoting uh, the shows coming up, but when they're talking about war games, they talked about you know closed circuit television on over a hundred locations. Um, you know, we just didn't people nowadays that are just getting in watching wrestling or people born after the the nineties, you know, before pay-per-view, um, if you wanted to see something big, you had to travel and buy a ticket to somewhere where they had a giant screen TV. That was some pretty bad picture yeah. compared. I've been to a couple of closed circuit. I was going to uh, ask actually, do you remember what events you went to for closed circuit? Was it wrestling uh, or boxing? I believe it might have been WrestleMania two or three. I think we've talked about this before in terms of you doing yeah. one of the closed circuits for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen some other other events, like uh, I think I've seen some football games, but uh, it's probably WrestleMania two. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, there. Uh, yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't a great. You're, you're in a big auditorium filled with people, and you're all watching the TV screen. That was very uh, unique for that yeah. time. But this is just before the advent of you know pay-per-view you know there's and also to get your tickets to war games or if you're going to the Nassau Coliseum and obviously whoever filmed this whoever taped this was in New York because yes. a couple of the adverts commercials are are local for New York yeah um and actually a couple of the commercials more interesting than some of this stuff because <laughs> I did some research on what I was kind of interesting but got um, that coming up next is one of the commercial right breaks. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh but also post circuit TV, but also to get your tickets, you had to go somewhere in person to buy yeah. your tickets. There's no online purchasing tickets or anything like that. Yeah. How about you, Terry? Do you remember any any experiences doing closed circuit for stuff back in the day? I, I never did any. Uh, okay. I, I, yeah. You know, maybe again, it's 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 the timeline. <clears throat> Excuse me. When when that occurred, maybe it was uh, it was during my college years, college army years, and and I just never never attended any. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, we 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 were quite a late adopter of pay per view in the UK. I think I think the first pay per view event I believe was Lennox Lewis and Frank Bruno, which was which was in Cardiff, and it was done for US television time. So I think it might have been a one AM start here. Um, but you had to fight, obviously, like, like you guys, phone up phone up your cable provider. Um, but it, I don't think we bought one for years. And I remember really vividly the. Do you, Ty- do you remember Tyson Holyfield won, the one where Holyfield won, not the ear bite? We got that for free. Because I remember the next morning, my dad, like, we I hadn't looked at it. Did you guys have a thing called teletext in the States where you had a, on your television, you could press a button and it would be a very basic 
kind of information thing. Like you get like football scores and some news, but it was kind of like the internet, but like a very, very basic thing. Did you have that at all? I don't remember anything like that. No, no. Terry, do you, do, does that ring a bell it, with it, you it, at all? It's it sounds it sounds familiar, but I don't know if that's anything. You know, maybe it's something we had, but it, it yeah. does sound familiar. It was definitely a thing in the eighties, but it was it was like a it was almost like a it was like a like a black screen and like green text, and it would scroll pages. So if you wanted to find out results from the night before, you dial it up, and it was uh you you, you dial like the football page was like three oh one or something, and you find the results. But I remember my dad shouting out saying, "We've got Holyfield Tyson. It's just about to start. Come down on the replay and then watch, obviously." Tyson lose. Um, where was I going after that? So, oh yeah, okay. So the adverts, the adverts. So, well, well, one question about one oh, more on. question about um, uh, pay per views. Is it yes. true in the UK? And I think we discussed this a year ago. But is it true in the UK that they've got a price on how much you can charge? Isn't it fairly inexpensive for a pay per view? Yeah, yeah. So the big, okay, I guess the big difference in our pay-per-views is most of the pay-per-views are not at a time that you could get, to, you really would. I mean, I, I did stay up with friends, but a oh, Las okay. Vegas fight would be a 5 a.m. start for us. Oh, okay. The UFC would be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So typically a pay-per-view in the UK is £15. Um, I think an Anthony Joshua fight in the last couple of years might have been 25 I think Joshua and Usyk, which was prime time in the UK, was twenty five pounds? So what's that? Thirty five dollars, something like that. So it's not. It's yeah, not you know, they're a hundred dollars here. Yeah, you know, yeah. But I think I think the key the key difference to that. So like, so I'm thinking of some of the ones that I stayed up with, like May Mayweather and Hatton is probably the biggest. Okay. If 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 not if it's not the biggest pay per view, it's one of the biggest pay per views of all time. When May well, they were both undefeated, that started at five a.m. We did have six or seven people round, but if that had been at nine o'clock in the UK. You could have had 40 people in the house that would have been interested in that and all chipped in and bought that pay-per-view and they still right. would have done the same numbers. But I think the restrictor here is is the time, really. Um, but we, we just have to live with that in terms of things being kind of for American TV. Albeit, now that a lot of big fights happen in Saudi Arabia, that is, though it's still, I think the Ngannou and Tyson Fury fight started maybe at half 11 our time, which is not that late, really. So things are things are changing a bit. Um, right. Advert. So three people were talking about how good their dandruff shampoo was, but they kept moving down the line to another right. who eventually said the rest should, rest should try Celsin Blue. So why change if they're really happy with their dandruff shampoo? It's bizarre marketing. Like surely they'd be like, oh, I've got terrible dandruff from trying this shampoo. Like I don't get it. Very Did strange. Did they not realize they had dandruff on the shoulder because the person next to him was brushing it off? Oh, maybe so, I didn't. Maybe I didn't realize that then. Yeah. So they said, I'm happy. But then the person reaches up and they're brushing their shoulder, meaning, well, you've actually got some dandruff here. Ah, you need to use what I use. Okay. But that person obviously had a dandruff issue also. Yes. Yeah. I remember these commercials very well. I know they played these to death back in the day. Yeah. I remember all of these very well. Yeah. It was a wait, blast. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute, Phil. How the heck do you know about a dandruff commercial? Well, believe it or not, at one time. <laughs> this is my choice. You can't believe how much money I saved not having to buy sell some blue yeah. or, or any type of conditioner. I've saved thousands. <laughs> Absolutely. Next up, we got Hostess Sweet Sensation, Choco Bliss, which you've seen before, and then several brats who didn't want a healthy breakfast, but apparently life cereal frosted on the inside was healthy. Now, I can't believe this is healthy. I believe this was rotting your children's guts back in 1987. Uh, but allegedly, if they don't like it, they're weird. So that was the actual line in the advert. If they don't like this stuff, they're weird. So I'm not sure that's a great uh, marketing campaign for kids. We got the War Games advert again 
oh what just so many times and then crazy eddie uh phil any any more thoughts on the remainder of these uh these adverts well um i'd seen all of these adverts hundreds of times except for crazy eddie and okay, obviously yeah. he was local. so yes. i had to do some research on crazy eddie mm. okay <laughs> He had, he had ended up having 43 locations in the New York City area. He had built a $300, a $300 million empire. And he went public. And he ended up, long story short, being uh, guilty of securities fraud. Oh, dear. Okay. He fled, he fled the country for a couple of years. Came back in 90. I don't know if he got extradited. Crazy Eddie ended up doing eight years in prison. Wow, for, he was inflating his sales numbers. Uh, he, he he did a number of things. You can it's easily if somebody's interested and they get into it. But yeah, he had a three hundred million dollar empire and still committed securities fraud and went to prison for eight years. Wow, where did now, he f- flee to? Do you know, um, seems like it was a South American country. But okay, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I read it briefly. Yeah. Uh, earlier this week was looking at that. Uh, now, the person that actually doing the commercial, that is not actually Crazy Eddie himself. That was a local DJ that pretended to be Crazy Eddie. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so that wasn't, that wasn't the actual Crazy Eddie. That was an actor. And when they were talking about he's shredding prices, was he shredding, he was shredding giant dollar bills? That didn't make sense to me. He was running... Hundred dollar bills through a shedder. Isn't that illegal in the states? Is that illegal? Is it illegal? Well, to- it, was a, it was a big fake bill. It was a yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill. yeah. But no, no, it's it's illegal to that. It's illegal to destroy money. Yeah, yeah. D- ditto here because yeah. You, you, yeah, when you, 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 I think the thing here is the implication because the Queen's face is on our money. I presume Charles's is at some point, maybe already, but. Yeah, Terry, and for my American friends out there, are you aware that the U.S. Mint, the U.S. government, has never made a penny? They've never printed a, never minted a penny. We don't have pennies in the United States, but we oh, call really? them pennies. Yeah. There's cents. There's a hundred cents to a dollar. Yes. For some yeah. reason, penny is a penny is right from your country, right? Yeah. You pennies, one pen- penny. Well, you have a hundred pennies in a pound. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, a, yeah. it's a weight measurement. But mm. for some reason, all Americans call our cents pennies. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How in- that's, that's, uh, that is odd. what an odd thing. I suppose there's probably quite a lot of crossover language between the two countries, given the origins and stuff. Uh, next up, Tony Giovanni on the Starcades Event Center. He pushed a match on the card, headlined by Ron Garvin versus Rick Flair for the NWA World Title. Now, as I, I chatted with the guys off air, it's a good time to repeat the very special announcement that first appeared as part of the Random Wrestling Review's WrestleMania 33 show. As many of you will sadly know, the days of the UWF at this point are numbered. And so are those for pro wrestling moments regularly producing podcasts. Now, I know it's a very sad time, um, but for now, the end is near. And to celebrate this momentous occasion, we'll be releasing 12 special shows over Christmas, including Mid-South Moments, the final, which I believe will be out on January the 5th. Uh, so this will be tw- the 12 days of Progressive Moments. And now is a good time to announce the very first episode of those 12 days will be myself and Dan. We haven't recorded it yet, so all being well, reviewing Starcade 1987. And that show will be out on Christmas Day. So hide from your dreadful family members and listen to us on that most special of holidays. Um, 
this was really going back to the show. This is really nothing segment from Tony here. No promos or anything. Anything to add on the Starcade Event Center? And actually, why don't you touch on Ron? Actually, we're going to have Garvin in the next segment, so we'll talk about him there. But anything on the Starcade Event Center before we move on to the next bit? I just remember them still doing scaffold matches. You know, they mentioned this. Guy yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and which is. When when they first announced capital matches when I was a kid, I thought this was gonna be the greatest thing. And how disappointing every one of them were yeah. really were. You know? But in the midnight express and the scaffold match is just wrong, right. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. And, Terry, and, any- and making we're just just making poor Jim Cornette take the bumps off the, oh off the scaffold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is really well, isn't bad, yeah. Those things are like I watched a film last night uh called Totally Killer, which is basically like a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek sort of slasher Halloween movie and in the in the show this kind of teenager travels back to 1987 funnily enough so it's around this time Halloween 87 and she's like going into a school like going into a school and pretend she's an exchange exchange student and she's she's really uh kind of like taken back by how little health and safety there is and how like people just like assume the best rather than the worst but you imagine some of these scaffolds in some of these arenas in 1987 i mean we're, we're not talking about like you know probably the safest thing i mean I, i'm surprised not one of these things didn't collapse and i'm sure there's probably some stories with the guys definitely around how, how just, just how, how dangerous these things were um Next up, back in the arena, we had NWA world champion Ron Garvin with Jim Ross. Um, the belt was so big, it took up the whole of Garvin's torso. He said he'd always been a possessed, a- possessed, possessed athlete. don't know. And he could talk about the past with Flair, but he was there to think about the future. He stumbled a bit talking about Flair needing the title, and so he didn't get there by sitting at home and eating pizza and drinking beer. He said he had Flair's number and he was going to keep it, and Flair would be his all night long at Starcade. Um, I feel a little bit harsh saying this, but I thought this was dreadful and nowhere near good enough for someone in the role of NWA champion. And I was going to say in the in the last bit around memories of Ron Garvin, because I remember him from his run after this in the WWF in a particularly boring match with Greg Valentine at maybe the 1989 Royal Rumble. Terry, what did you think of this promo and this this run for Garvin as world champion here? Yeah, I, I didn't quite understand it either. Um uh... He he was never never my favorite, um, you know. I, I guess, and, I, and I'm sure there's always exceptions, but I always envisioned the world champion, you know, behind that podium, uh, dressed nice, uh, you know, with a, with a jacket on or blazer. It just it it, it he just kind of went against it. I mean, even for Christ's sake, even Harley Race wore a blazer when he was a uh, when he was world champion. Mm. Ron Garvin to me just never looked apart. Um, you know, he he had some entertaining matches that I've seen, but he he was he just wasn't world champion material for me. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Phil, thoughts on this? Yeah, I got several. Uh, of course, the belt was the most impressive part of this yeah. segment, uh, and I actually wrote down that Ronnie Garvin said, "quote Drinking beer and eating pizza, quote like it's a bad thing." But that's just me. But that that was something that the heels would, you know, remember the, the heels would would um, dig at the crowd, you know, or you know, Rick, Rick Flair would say, you know, uh, the women want to be with me, but they're stuck with you. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sit around drinking beer and eating pizza. Ronnie Garvin, uh, previous to this and in other territories, he'd always been a fan favorite. Hmm. And and he was one of those, especially like in Georgia and stuff. Um. You know, every territory had that one person that 
that, you know, whether it was Tommy Rich or Barry Windham or David Von Erich, that one guy that you thought could beat Ric Flair, beat the world yeah. champion. Yeah. And then occasionally they'd have to let him win and then hold the belt for a week, you know. Um, it made sense with some of those, like when Kerry Von Erich won it for a for a month or Tommy yeah. Rich won it for a week. Uh, Ronnie was never that level to me. And he had a, a, a silly finishing maneuver. Of course, he was known as the man with the hands of stone. And sometimes mm-hmm. he'd just knock you out. But y'all remember the Garvin stomp? Yeah. You remember yeah. that? Okay. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. Yes. That was just one, you know, for a finisher, that just didn't uh, cut it for me, no. you know? So, uh, but that's yeah, a very I WWF would... finisher, I think. Do you know what I think? That's a very. Cart- you can imagine an action figure with a foot that goes up and down doing that, couldn't you? That's a like it's hokey, yeah. Yeah, so hey, hey, hey. I'm sorry, Phil. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just gonna mention why since you brought the stomp, um, uh, for our internet people, um, Ronnie Garvin spent a whole lot of time in Knoxville with the Mongolian stomper. Do you think maybe those two are tied in? I, I don't know, I, I probably don't, I, I didn't yeah. see enough Mongolian stomper matches. But I wonder if, if if maybe that was a tribute to him. Maybe that was something he – because it was so over in Knoxville. I I, I don't know. Just just throwing it out there to our, our inter, internet experts. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, next up, we had <laughs> Barry Wind- – yeah, answer on a postcard, please. Barry Winderman versus Clement Fields was next. A very sporting handshake before the contest started. And Ross talks about Winderman being number one contender to Steve Williams' title – um, and then it sounded like he was going to cast some shade on Ronnie Garvin, but then just said Williams was a respected world champion and one of the best out there. Uh, Barry hit a couple of nice moves in this, including a great drop kick and one with a cl- and one with a clothesline, which Clement took a really nasty and bump from right on his head. Um, Phil, what do you make of uh, what did we get here? Barry Windham versus Clement. Clement Fields is not a great name for a wrestler, I don't think. What did you think of the match? Yeah, you know Windham, he's just so athletic. You know. Uh, probably could have played a lot of different sports, but he was one of those I was thinking of earlier when I talked about territories had their local guy that you did think could beat the champion. Well, Wyndham was definitely one of them uh, along with, you know, like the Armstrong boys or Tommy Rich and the others I mentioned, but it's just a chance for him to show us athletic prowess, but just another squash match, you know, indeed. Yeah. Terry, anything to add? Phil's uh, Phil's answer was perfect. Uh, Wyndham is the perfect guy in the territory system. If he's in Florida or mid-Atlantic, the champion comes in town and he could give a whale of a run against the champion. Uh, Don't don't know if he could have been a long-term champion holding the belt because his mic skills and things, but would, would have been a whale of a territory guy chasing the champ for sure. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Musketeers bar advert again. The chaps are out on the town, bellies full of chocolate. I'm not sure that bellies full of chocolate is the best condition to be in if you're looking to um, advance with uh, members of the opposite sex or even members of the same sex. Uh, Nike Air to the Beatles, more crazy Eddie and mufflers. And um, we've seen these before, so nothing to add from me unless you two have anything on these adverts. Phil, you're putting your hand up, so fire away. Yes, the Nike commercial. I remember yeah. this well when it came out. Are you aware that the Beatles sued Nike? The three remaining Beatles oh, sued Nike. Oh, I didn't over know that. That's yes. brilliant. Now that actually, a Nike had actually paid EMI Capital Records a half a million dollars. Mm. But for some reason, the Beatles still think they had a lawsuit and they sued uh, Nike for one and a half million dollars, which would be wow. like five million now, which I'm yeah. sure Nike didn't have any problem pony up. But no, the, the Beatles saw that 
the first time it aired was a few months earlier on one of the late night shows like David Letterman or something. It was his debut. And they immediately sued Nike over that. But apparently Nike get to keep using it. So did they? So did the Beatles get any more any conversation about that, or or was it because the, the deal was done legitimately with a record company? Um, don't have the the, the memories right now. I I mean we could look, but yeah, it was. But it was a great commercial, you know. Yeah, uh, Nike is not a big popular brand at that time. Interesting. So what would what would have been what would have been the big kind of sportswear brand in in the states that time? Is it oh is this when Nike? Because this is pre when's Jordan? When's Michael Jordan? This is pre-Jordan, is it? Oh, absolutely. I guess that was a yeah. It came out to the nineties, right? Yeah, yeah. It came out in the nineties. Yeah, so that's probably the big thing for them, isn't it? At that point, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Oh, we had. Uh, I'm thinking maybe New Balance or Kids or, or or whatever, but it was this was before shoes became such a big deal and such a big ticket item. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess a lot. I, I'm I'm sure the fashion kind of things in the states probably didn't. Uh, weren't too far away from what we had in the UK. But I certainly in the 90s, you didn't really, you'd have a pair of trainers to play sport. So you'd have, let's say if you played tennis, you'd have a pair of tennis shoes. But if you were doing something um, casual, let's say you were going to the pub or a bar or you were going to Temping Bowling or something, you'd wear shoes. You wouldn't wear trainers. So actually that kind of fashion trainer thing is a thing that developed, I think, you know, in time later, didn't it really, in terms of, and I'm sure that's the same for you guys. If I'm, you know, if I'm going to do something and if I'm going to Fulham, I'll wear trainers. Like I think most people do now, whereas actually shoe, so shoe, I guess casual shoes are probably less of a thing that is quite so popular and trainers have sort of taken over. Uh, who knew you'd get fashion stuff on uh, on, on Mid-South right. Moments? And one other, one other thing on the adverts. Uh, you saw the barber shaving. This was a real barber, and he oh, yeah. shaves in Washington, D.C. Did you notice when he held up that big blade? It was a single blade. Yeah. They, the, the, they were just disposable. Before that, we all used either straight razors or, or a you know razor blade. You know, we didn't even have double-edged blades yet. Now, I, oh, I use a five-blade. You know, I don't know what you guys use, but I remember when third – it wasn't until the 90s that a double blade or a third blade came out. We thought that was ridiculous. Wow, you know? wow. Those big blades just give me it. Goes, oh, I don't I have to shave like underneath my beard a little bit. But those single blade bics just give me anxiety around just ripping my face to shreds trying to use <laughs> one of those disposable razors on like a school trip or something. We've come like a long way in the past 30 years with razor blades. Yeah, big, big time. Um, so after the break, we had Terry Taylor and Eddie Gilbert, who were accompanied by Rick Steiner versus Alan Martin and Terry Jones. Uh, this didn't go long and was finished with a brutal looking double hot shot with Eddie lifting his opponent and Taylor slamming his body into the ropes. Um, the guys were then interviewed by Ross and Taylor said he was ticked off by the Russian stealing his belt. Um, Taylor said he'd never been more serious in his life and he would showcase his talent by beating Nikita at Starcade. Uh, they then showed the replay of Taylor attacking Nikita with the UWF TV title belt and according to Ross, trying to rip his eye out. Uh, Dusty made the save and his distraction allowed Nikita to, to hit the sickle clothesline and regain possession of the old NWA TV title belt. Um, back to Gilbert and he said there would be no John Ayres or Jim Crockett or even Jim Ross each man will bring one belt to the ring and one man will walk out with two belts and they'll be the unified champion. Um, I didn't think Terry hit the sort of very, very high heights he had earlier in the year, but this was decent enough. Um, Terry, what do you make of your namesake here on promo? Uh, you know, 
I was guess I was distracted. Uh, I think it happened right after this when they interviewed Nikita. Yes, and that, that 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 Russian accent, Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> pass it to Phil. Phil, anything no, on Terry no, Taylor before we move on? I'll pass it back. I have other things to talk about. All here. right, great. Did you so so in in the next uh, advert we got big shavers, Lee sculptured nails, and yet more war games. But unless you guys have got anything to to add, I'll I'll move on to Nikita. I guess uh, Lee press on nails felt sculptured nails sounded better because for years they were Lee press on nails. They didn't change anything but the name. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So back from break, we had Nikita Koloff versus Eric Long. Dusty was in Nikita's corner. Uh, Long had that thing where he shook his head and hair a bit to sell like good old Steve Cox used to. So they kind of, did either of you, were you rocking a mullet in the 80s? I think we've had this conversation before, but they kind of got that kind of like tidy mullet with a little bit at the back and they just sort of shake their head like that to sell and that was all they could do. So yeah, not not the best. Um, Eric was finished inside 90 seconds with the sickle clothesline. Um, and even in this slightly adjusted version of the show, there's just nothing resembling a proper wrestling match here anymore, unfortunately. Uh, Dusty was with Nikita. Keita and Jim Ross. Uh, Dusty had a hard rock t-shirt on. Uh, Dusty said his career was up at Starcade if he didn't win the US title. He said Luger wasn't ready to be uh, a legend or ride in limos. Nikita then cut, and I'm just reading this word for word, Nikita then cut a truly awful promo in faux Russian and shouting, which was the absolute pits. Phil, what did you make of this? I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, I'd like to Throw something in controversial, controversial, a different point of view, but and this can just horrible. I remember here, I believe it was him, is on an airplane with a bunch of the wrestlers, and he's still using that accent. One of the, oh god, and <laughs> they said we 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 know, you know, you can drop it. It's just us here on the plane because he lived that gimmick. You know, kayfabe lives, yeah. But, uh, wow. If somebody recognized him, we'd have to use that that voice, but yeah, not good. That's amazing. Um, Terry, what did you make of this? Yeah, just, you, you know, the, the the tried and true tested method. You take the biggest heel and flip them. They're going to be a great baby face. But I just never could get get Nikita. Never. Oh, interesting. You, ne you, ne you never, uh, you know, post the Magnum stuff. You never sort of found yourself getting behind this guy no and, no, no. no. And, and, and maybe it was Something. maybe it was the crazy promos i i was a promo guy and, and maybe it was just the promos i i never gave his in-ring stuff a chance but uh the promos did it for me because uh -uh. yeah, i feel like people would know people you know it wouldn't be so easy to, to understand what a, a russian accent or real russian accent sounded like in 1987 but let's be frank like you know you you would have an idea like rocky four was had been out by this point with Ivan Drago and um, I can't remember what his what the other uh, the lady and it was cool, but you know what I mean. So so this was this was out there. So you knew that this is not what a real and of course Nikolai Volkov, of course as well. So like, I know he wasn't a Russian accent, but that was certainly better than this. But yeah, this yes. wasn't this wasn't this wasn't great. Um, we then got Jim Ross uh, advert talking about the wider card for war games, including the Road Warriors versus Rick Phoenix Luger. And after the break was Sting versus the Enforcer. No, not Arn Anderson, unfortunately. It was a guy in all black and a mask. And interestingly, Jack Gregory on comms said that Sting must be considered a threat to either world champion. 
So clearly they already had big things in mind for him uh, and he would be pushed hard in 1988, including obviously the match with Flair um, in what, April 88 or March 88, which was the Clash of the Champions match that went on a little bit earlier in the day than WrestleMania 4. Um, Sting won this inside two minutes of the Stinger Splash. And while it was fine, it did make me long for the days of the eight minute Adrian Street match. Uh, Terry, what do you think of this? Same here. You know, maybe I'm just so mid-South and... and territory through and through just none of this stuff i i would literally rather watch and i think you mentioned it earlier uh uh just a house show match matches from the wwf than, than this yeah i agree because i think you'd, you'd get uh, i mean at least just, get some action uh, wouldn't you make, you'd it, get some... make, make it... yes yes yeah. i mean just th- th- this does absolutely nothing for me nothing no no, I agree. And as I said at the start, I don't want to labor the point, but I don't I don't really see how this could do anything for anybody because this wasn't this wasn't, you know, I grew up on WWF superstars. Well, actually, I say grew up. I was probably nine or nine. I guess I was nine when I first got satellite TV in the UK and was watching WWF superstars. But I don't think if this was what I was watching, if I was if I only got NWA and I, did, I didn't we didn't get much NWA in the UK. I don't think I'd have, I'd have kept with this. Because there's not enough in this. There's not enough over characters. Not enough big characters. I just don't. And if you're looking, so if you're if you're kind of taking kids out of it, who'll kind of watch anything, but you have to be invested in it. If you're looking at this being uh, an adult, more adult orientated product, which I've always heard about NWA, I don't see how adults would like this either because there's no wrestling. Like adults, I mean, my dad when he would occasionally watch this stuff with me, he just wanted a match. We'd watch like sometimes you get primetime wrestling, and one week it'd be house show matches from like the Boston Garden or. Madison Square Garden or whatever. And that was like eight, nine minutes of what you just said, Terry, in terms of like, you might get Akeem versus somebody, but at least it was a match. You know, Akeem versus Marty Jannetty from Boston Garden. Okay. Well, Akeem squashed mm-hmm. him in seven minutes, but Marty flew all over the ring. And yeah, it was more interesting. But yeah, I I, I think this is um, this is just a thing now. It's not their priority. And they, they really have kept it purely because they, so they've got television in New York. Um, Phil, anything to add on Sting here? This um, this match to me, there is absolutely no difference between this match and Barry Windham's match. It was yeah. just another chance for an athletic guy to squash somebody's shelf talent while they used it as commercial time with voiceovers and things. So it's, the wrestling didn't matter uh, when you. And that was something that bothered me early on back in the day when they first started interrupting matches to go to commercial breaks. Yeah, yeah. Realized the wrestling doesn't matter. And, you know, they didn't do that for, for a lot of years. It was in between matches that to go to commercials. But I guess it's what keep people from not changing the channel if the match is still going. But if it's – they didn't do it during this one, but some of these matches, if they were going to commercial, I'm not going to be watching. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a good reason to turn over, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the well, relent- well, Phil. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Stephen. No, so uh, asking Phil this, because we both grew up watching this uh, – mid watching Mid-South in real time. Maybe it's because for us, when there was squash match, when a squash match was a thing, it was in a little studio arena. It's sure. almost like if you're going to put a match in front of a large crowd of people, it should not be these matches. You know, it, it, you know, when, when I got the satellite dish and I got to watch Madison Square Garden matches, I turned it on as Jimmy Snooker against Don Morocco and you know, Blackjack Mulligan against Andre the Giant. And and even the 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 the, the preliminary matches were were contest. 
Mm. That, that, that these squash matches have no business being in an arena. No one should have to pay for these matches. And, and maybe that's maybe that's what it is. I think that's not a bad point. And I think even with, you know, the old back in the day, the, the superstars and challenge staff, you would get the occasional le, le, like legit match on those shows. And also you get tight, like if they were pushing, um, this is a little bit before my time, but I remember when they switched the titles from Demolition to Haku and Andre the Giant, and that was on superstars. So like that stuff did happen. And, and you would, I feel like they give you enough of that to keep you coming back, or there'd be a big angle on the shows. And these these shows are completely angle free. There's nothing going on here. They're, it's not like Rick Martel sprays arrogance in Jake Roberts' face and blinds him, or Earthquake kills Hogan on the Brother Love Show. That is not happening on these shows. So where the angles are taking place, I don't know, but it's not it's not here. Um, the relentless War Games adverts continued after, and after a long section of commercials, Ed, we came back with Ron Simmons alongside Jim Ross. He apologised for the jive tones interrupting him in an earlier segment. Simmons said Ross didn't have to apologise and he wouldn't put up with what they'd done and he would restore himself and get his dignity back. Uh, we cut back in time to Ross and Simmons from an, from an earlier something. Simmons was wearing a very fetching red polo shirt in this. Uh, and Ross put over Simmons climbing to the top 10 in the UWF standings in short order. And I guess what I, I thought to myself, what does that even mean at this point? What does ever, any of it mean? What are the UWF top 10 standings? when the UWF doesn't really exist. So what, what does that mean? Um, the Jive Tones then came out and got in Simmons' face and said it was their interview time. Simmons said he was sick of this guy interfering. Um, there was some dated language used here, which I've forgotten what, what it was, but um, we'll, we'll avoid that, whatever that was. Then eventually the Tones attacked Simmons with their sticks. Uh, but this had an odd cut in it. Uh, they then went back to the present day and Simmons said it made him sick and he promised he'd get his... Dignity and pride back. I thought Ron was fine here, especially given... His, in fact, fine might be understating it. I thought he was decent, actually, given his limited time in the business up to that point. Um, Phil, what did you make all of this? You know, I can... Um, Ron Simmons is just very articulate and yeah. believable. You know, he, he does a good job. Um, makes it sound like he's a, an athlete competing in a legitimate sport. Um as far as the jive tones, I don't remember them pairing up. I remember seeing Tiger Conway wrestle a lot of matches, especially down in WCCW. He wrestled there. I remember Chaska Watley wrestling in, in Georgia and some areas. I don't remember them tag teaming as the jive tones. It's not really ringing a bell. Maybe, yeah. But uh, but uh, Simmons is a is a is a solid interview. Yeah, Terry, thoughts on this. Yeah, Simmons Simmons is good, you know, and you could see him being an eventual champion. Uh, I loved, uh, you know, Tiger Conway actually had a mid south stint there with the tag team belts, uh, and uh, and and uh, Pistol Pez Watley, he was he was always a little bit entertaining, I guess, but uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember much of the job tones. No, Davy Haskins, Steve Cox, Dale Laparouse as the Canadian Kodiaks and Black Bart, and a star-studded six man was next. Uh, and the latter one in short order, I, I, I must be honest, I wrote these notes a few weeks ago and I don't really remember what's coming up in the notes. So it's kind of coming back to me as I as I read it. But I've written next. I was distracted during this. So I didn't make any notes. So I don't know what I was distracted by. Obviously, bad podcast in there. So Terry, help. What happened here? And was it any good? So the only thing that jumps out to me about this, uh, the match wasn't very good at all, obviously. But David Haskins is a dear friend of mine. Oh, he, okay. um, yeah, yeah. We 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 met through you know mutual friends in the wrestling business, 
He is also known as Davy Rich, the uh, the the cousin of Wildfire Tommy Rich. Ah, okay. So, so Haskins was actually, and he and I have had a couple uh, couple beverages together and, and dinner and whatnot. He was actually supposed to get a little bit of a push with Brad Armstrong around mm. this time. But then when everything kind of collapsed and folded, it, it, it never transpired. But but uh, he was a decent hand. And maybe that's why he got thrown out of the ring so quickly uh, as to not, you know, be part of the beatdown. But yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, he, he he's someone that has had his uh, 10 minutes in the ring with just about everybody who is somebody. Oh, wow. So, he's got some uh, yeah. incredible stories from that time. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he, he does. So, so David Haskins is one of in the same of uh, Davy Rich. Ah, how interesting. You learn something new every day. Um, Phil, what did you think of this uh, six, short six man? You know what? Your memory uh, is exactly when I these connoted it is exactly what I felt like when they came on the screen. I don't remember these guys or who they were. And there's nothing I got I got two pages of notes here. I got nothing on that. There was no, just no. nothing memorable for me. So it's it, probably just similar to the other matches. I have I have not a note on that match and I watched it twice. <laughs> Back after the break, the star-studded tag match of Ron Simmons and Shane Douglas. So I, th- I said Steve Williams at the start because I got my notes wrong. So Ron Simmons and Shane Douglas, a very young Shane Douglas, versus Alexa Luger, Rick Flair. And I was actually looking forward to this. I was thinking, crikey, a wrestling match. Come on. And it was interesting seeing Douglas working with Flair in this as there's always been some heat between these two. And I wondered if it dated back to some punches from Shane that looked stiff as hell. And also not all that good at the same time. This is the most of the Shane McMahon style of punch where actually it looks like he's taking the guy's head off the ones that lands and the other of them all look terrible so yeah this wasn't great from douglas um this went through a break in a few minutes and we got an advert for the master system again uh, and also a new one for instant replay scratch cards from new york and this was a solid eight or nine years before lottery scratch cards were a thing right. in the uk and probably right. about eight years before the uh i think the national lottery started in 93 or 94 so we didn't have a lottery at that point at all so yeah this was not a thing um back to the actions the voiceover pushed the war games match again because we hadn't heard enough about that in this program um this wasn't all that bad uh but i must be honest in that i f- was fairly checked out of the show by the time this came on uh, lex and flair won when lex made douglas submit with the torture rack um phil what do you think of the television main event well watching the show this is the best match of the show yeah okay uh i you know that match was it was a good match to me i yeah. you know um for what it was uh and of course again it's just building up to to the events coming up but uh um you know flair that what you saw out of flair here is a lot of the memories i had of flair growing up as a young child in, in the 70s and the 80s you know you didn't see him doing any of his silly uh flopping you know where yeah he takes a punch to the head takes a few steps and then just face plants you know <laughs> uh you know a time and it not that that's so bad but he just did it so many times now new new viewers today got to realize that we didn't have we didn't see this every day or week after week rick could have gone to every territory and done that face plant but we only saw it one time he's doing yeah. it every night of the week but but he's not, you know, uh, flying, getting thrown into the corner, flying over the top rope, you know, running down the side of the ring. Uh, it, was just, it was more uh, of what I consider a good wrestling match, especially the, for this show. This was the best match by far. Definitely. Terry, thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I uh, agree with you both, Stephen. I was so checked out, uh, you know, didn't it was kind of uh zombified by by now um but uh but feels right it it uh it was the best match of the, the card so it is what it is promotional consideration paid for by stetson cologne hall's vapor action and first alert smoke and fire detectors because because your family comes first and finally edge shaving gel were either of you gents rocking stetson cologne in 1987 maybe Maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Bill, I think you might be on mute, actually. I think you might be on mute. I'm interested to hear what you're sure going to say. There was. I had the cough button on there. Uh, I, I remember Stetson Cologne being very, very popular. Ah, interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's probably still sold today. But it was one of the big, big brand names. Uh, and as far as adverts go, you mentioned the scratch cards. Yes. Um, yes. That was Oklahoma uh, being in the the middle of what we call the Bible Belt here. There's lots of things we didn't get till decades after other states. Mm. Okay. Uh, like it was not Oklahoma was the last place in the known universe to you couldn't legally get a tattoo. And I'll be saying this. Yeah. Mid 2000s. Right. Yeah. Well, scratch cards. Scratch cards was our first form of lottery, and we did not get scratch cards till two thousand and five. Wow. Okay. So They're things not legal. Yeah. 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 It's it, so it's it a weird bit... seeing an advert in New York City in the eighties for scratch cards. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Some of the things that are different across, because you, you know we're we're fairly similar in terms of lots of lots of things. I think, but th things that sort of blow my mind, and the two that always kind of come into my mind are drinking and driving. Not drinking and driving. Drinking full stop. New sentence. Driving. Because obviously in in the UK you can drive at seventeen, but I think there's there's a certainly a push to push it back to eighteen. But am I right in thinking in some states in the US you can drive at fifteen? Is that yes. right? Yeah. Yes. You can yeah. get your learner's permit at about 15, but you got to have a licensed driver in the vehicle with you. Right. Okay. And, yes. at, 16, and at 16, you get your full on license. Interesting. But obviously, the drinking age, and I think I'm right in saying in every state in the US 21, or is there any, is there any difference in the, the US states? I, I think, I think it is now. Uh, there yeah. was a time where it fluctuated fluctuated uh and you mentioned drinking and driving you know being from new orleans we have drive through uh daiquiri shops so uh <laughs> so there you have it <laughs> wow 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 um, wow speaking of that are you all familiar with the term byob or bring your own bottle yes mm -hmm. yeah BYOB. okay so if you're going to a party obviously you get an invitation so the byob you're going to take your own alcohol in oklahoma up to the early 80s there was a law that you could not serve. It's called liquor by the drink. You could you could not walk into a bar and buy a shot of alcohol. Okay. If they had a sign out that said BYOB, that you could carry your own in from the liquor store and that you could give it to the bartender and he could serve you your alcohol, but he couldn't. So liquor by the drink wasn't, uh, I guess maybe it's the late seventies before you could even walk into a bar in Oklahoma and buy hard liquor. So, what about beer? Could you buy like a like a softer? Yes. Yeah, you could drive. Yes. You could buy beer, but like a whiskey or. It's, it's now, funny. I was. In, I remember being in Houston in in a. I guess it wasn't a liquor store, but it was like a store that had beer in it. But I wanted to get a bottle of vodka, and I couldn't get it. So I guess that's probably some sort of similar. I'd have to go somewhere else to get that because it was only like softer alcohol that was available. 
Now, when you drink a beer there, what you know what the alcohol content is? Yeah, is it, yeah. Is it six percent or no? That would be quite strong. So a, a beer on tap in a in a pub, you probably get like a four percent, four and a half percent, or maybe a five, something like that. Okay, for decades up until recently, we had a law in Oklahoma that three point two was the max that you. Could oh, purchase. interesting. Okay, and yeah. so for years the joke the joke was anytime somebody's driving down to Texas to go to Dallas for whatever event, a visit, a vacation, a Dallas Cowboys football game, hey, pick me up some six point beer when you come. Yeah, back. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How interesting! How interesting! Right, Paisley's adverts. We got a promo with JJ Dillon, uh, Rick Flair, and Lex Luger. Uh, he said Flair would get his belt back, and the total package has an unlimited future. They push a new show again. I just can't believe they keep pushing this show which only a tiny people tiny number of people could actually attend um and they had big issues with the pay-per-view for starcade steven steven i'm wondering though since this is recorded obviously from someone in new york yes i wonder if they start throwing up that nassau graphic and talking about it, i wonder if they're not in other parts of the country advertising something else I think they are. They absolutely are. But I think on the show, so the bits on the show, so they're not the voiceover bits, but they have mentioned it in the body of the show. And this promo, I think, would have aired everywhere. Um, but yeah, I, ju I just, yeah, it's just a weird. And actually, just when they were talk about to talk about Starcade, the video cut off. So that was the end of this episode. So, um, Phil, what did you think of these promos and, and this November 7th, 1987 show overall? Well, we, we've, we've covered it pretty pretty well. That promo at the end by Flair was was uh, good enough. Again, he's one of the better people on the mic, uh, certainly on this show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, not even – this wouldn't even be considered an average show for Mid-South standards. Yeah, indeed. Terry, any thoughts before we move on for a few weeks? No, so I agree with Phil 100%. So the following episode from November the 27th, 1987, aired the weekend after Starcade. Um, but it was one of those odd shows where none of the results are referred to. So if there's anyone out there, listener-wise, who wants to listen to the Starcade show unspoiler, unspoiled, I'm not sure that's a word, you're safe. Albeit, I am going to do a quick recap when the guys have gone of, uh, of the second to last UWF show. So there may be some spoilers on that of the Starcade show that's out on Christmas Day. So we're a little bit back to front, but... I did want to get that Starcade done because I kind of see that in a way as the last, the last section of this this wrestling in in in, in a really um, kind of serious way, I suppose. Um, so this show from November the twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven, um, which was just a few days after what had been my sixth birthday, um, started with a load of people brawling, and then we got some slightly new credits with Universal Wrestling Federation going across the screen in see through yellow. Um, but again, I don't, what does this mean? Like, tell me what this means. Why is this like this? Uh, Magnum and Missy were shown, and this tape was a bit iffy in quality. Uh, main event later was Barry Windham versus Larry Zabisco for the Western States Heritage title. Um, he featured Jack Gregory along with Ross, and they put over what a good job John Ayres was doing, even though he was busy with the NFL. They talked about the bunkhouse stampede, and Michael Hayes was there, and he said, uh, he said, creepily about touching someone, and then said he was fixing to put his body on the line in the bunkhouse stampede. And as we said on last week's show, um, or la the last show we did, um, we just don't like uh, Hayes the babyface. He said PS wouldn't stand for purely sexy. It would stand for purely stampede for the next month. Uh, this went on way too long for me, and I got lost while I was talking about his cowboy boots. Um, Terry, what did you think of this uh, this promo here from Hayes in follow-up to last week's Hayes babyface stuff? Yeah, a little, little bit strange, uh, but the, the the visual was 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 interesting or kind of cool because – 
Uh, at this time, I'm actually in college. I'm at Louisiana Tech University, and uh, we went down to Monroe, Louisiana, which was about about an hour, uh, 30 minutes away, and I got to see a bunkhouse stampede match okay. live. And, yeah. and, you know, on paper, it, it, it sounds great uh, because, you know, you're thinking blood and guts, you know, good old uh, blood and guts wrestling, but it is what you see. On the screen there, it's a bunch of guys in there. And, you know, yes, everybody's blading, but there's nothing that looks real about anything in the match at yeah. all. It, it is just a big cluster. Uh, and it's just uh, just gratuitous blading for absolutely no reason at all. Have either of you seen the Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view from January 88? Yeah, they actually did a pay-per-view of that as a main event. Have you seen it at all, Phil? Um, I have years ago. I remember, yeah. and like Terry, on paper, I can remember thinking, oh, these bunkhouse stampedes, these are going to be fantastic. These should be great. I think they did four or five of them. Mm. I can name all the winners. Go, go ahead. Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> I believe so, yeah. He won 88 for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think that's it, but... Uh, uh, I who was, Joe, who was Booker? Question, yeah, who you was Booker, asking, remind me. a question that I've seen it, I, probably so. But. So, in the archives, there is a... So, when Dan and I were doing this month in wrestling history, kind of, I guess, second half of the pandemic, we did do Bunkhouse Stampede, and it remains to this day the worst wrestling show I've ever seen it is absolutely wow. awful. And I'll tell you what as well, there's a match at the start between Nikita Koloff and Bobby Eaton. Now, on paper, that sounds decent, I'd say. Do you think that sounds okay? Mm -hmm. I, I would think. It's it's so bad. It's so bad. It's a, it's a it's, Spoiler alert. I think it's a 20-minute time limit draw. And I'd say 19 and a half minutes of that headlocks. I don't know whether one of them was ill or injured or something. Because Bobby was great, wasn't it? And I haven't seen that much in Nikita, yeah. but all that's I've seen of Bobby was phenomenal. And you just think, and it's just downhill from there. It's it's dreadful. So if you want to have like a really, really bad couple of hours, throw that show on. Yeah, um, not, all bad, not all bad of Royals were that great either. No, you know, no, no, no. people just standing around. But yep. like a scaffold match, like a bunkhouse stampede, like Terry's phrasing was was perfect it looks great on paper but when you get down to it um, yeah it's not up to much before we move on you, you mentioned john ayers yes Harry, yeah do you know who john ayers is i i, I just I, go on sorry, sorry. I, I remember no, no i'm sorry i remember him being a football player uh maybe ohio state yeah well uh i guarantee you saw him play pro because the name oh, was super Bowls. falcon no, no no uh he won two super bowls with San Francisco 49ers. Yes. And then the next year he was with Denver when they went to the Super Bowl. Okay. So John Ayers, and of course he was the kayfabe watches president or commissioner, yeah. you know, he was, he was that, but uh, one of the worst disappointments for me was the, the um, NFC championship, Terry, the one, where Dallas played San Francisco and Dwight Clark had the catch. You yep. know, the catch, like some of the famous football plays, Stephen here, they got names like the Immaculate Reception. Okay. The, the <laughs> okay. There's one just, you say the catch. Well, Dwight Clark yep. caught a pass from Joe Montana 
to win a point to, to, to go ahead by one point over my Dallas Cowboys, knocked him out of the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, it was an 83 yard drive at the last minute, 58 seconds left. I just can't forget it. But John Ayers, <laughs> John Ayers was a big part of that. He was okay. blocking on, he was the starting offensive line guard. So, and then he won two Super Bowls with San Francisco. And the next year he played with Denver when they went to the Super Bowl. Wow, not a bad. Well, a very good career then, by the sounds of things. And then the best of all was being UWF commissioner. So you know he reached right. a, a new height. Well, you know, Watson, Watson, Ross got love affairs with with football players. Yeah, you know, pushing like Ron, Ron Simmons and Steve Williams. They're going to push them to the hill. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's all about legitimacy, isn't it? If you if you, legitimacy of of yes. kind of other sports, and I, I, I don't I don't mind that. I think that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, uh, road, good then, yeah. yeah, Road Warriors uh, versus. I sorry, I didn't catch one of the names of the opponents. I think one was Craig Whitford. Um, the way this arena was lit, and I use lit loosely, made it so you couldn't see anyone other than the really faintly the people in the front row, which was really weird. Um, there was a dreadful attempt at a clothesline to the front and a clothesline to the back, which ended this match. As Ross said, Whitford had been literally decapitated. And I can confirm that Whitford thankfully kept his head. Uh, Phil, what did you think of this short squash? <laughs> no, that was figuratively yeah. was decapitated, <laughs> right? So... But uh, yeah, the the Road Warriors were a a, a fantastic heel team, mm. but uh, this is not a not one of the. It just like the previous episode we just reviewed. Just a why are you having these guys in a big arena? Like Terry pointed out, taking yeah. these guys you've never heard of, guys maybe never wrestled in a match in their life. No, Terry, any thoughts on the Road Warriors here? Uh, the only comment is I do kind of like the lighting. And and I guess again it's because of what you grew up with. Yeah. Uh, th- this was a typical house show lighting, you know. Me sitting, you know, a few rows back, mid south, uh, municipal auditorium in New Orleans, and the match starts. All the lights go down, and you just got the light over the ring. It's just uh, it it's what I grew up with. So so I thought that part was kind of cool. Uh, the match is is what you guys called it. Yeah, yeah, some of the greatest uh, matches I remember seeing on, on television were, were like uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. When they'd show the house show, you had one camera angle from way up top. Everything's dark except yeah. the light on the ring, you know. It's kind of totally different than studio wrestling, obviously. And so this is kind of a a mix between the two. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily work. But, uh, but yeah, Terry, I agree with you. Some of those old great – it just seems like – the whole place was filled with smoke and you could just see the ring because of the spotlight on it. Right. Yeah. Yep. So after a queen inspired video on Steve Williams that we've seen before, we got a promo with animal and he said they were going to win them all. Hawk added that once upon a time, two demented kids turned into superhumans and that was them. They decided they should beat everyone up that gets in the ring with them. And they say it's, it's a hard way to make a living. He said, they do what they always do, beat people up, win the cash and put it in Paul's bank. What did you think of uh, the road warriors promo here, Terry? What Road Warriors were, were, were good. Uh, you know, the, the promos, I, I enjoyed the promos. Uh, legitimate tough guys. Um, Paul Ellering, Ellering was a perfect compliment to them. Kind of the brains behind the brawn. You know, always had his Wall Street Journal uh, uh, wrapped up in his hand. Uh, so, so I always enjoyed the Road Warriors. Yeah. Phil, thoughts on this? Yeah, same. It's, Road Warriors are an impressive team. Just wish they'd put them against somebody better in this. Yeah, yep. in, in, indeed. 
got an advert for for Twix. Uh, the kid put his hand in a fishbowl. Apparently, Twix won't slow you down when you're mopping a floor. Uh, later, on, have, I, have I written this right? Certs where loads of people were doing different stuff, but they all had something in common. They wanted fresh breath, which is a reasonable thing to want in life, I suppose. Anything to add on these uh, these <laughs> adverts? Uh, remember them well. They played them a bazillion times. Yeah. Um, uh, we got next Ron, Ron Simmons versus Ron Ellis in the Battle of the Rons. And Ross said he was very impressed uh, the first time we saw Ron Simmons, and he's improved and improved from there. There's a big old bear hug spot in this from Simmons as poor Ron Ellis sold by shaking his outstretched right hand. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know why. They, they re- I think some of these guys need some lessons in selling because shaking the back of your hair or your hand is not really selling, I would say. Um, there was a bit of a botch and a spine buster before Ron finished him off with a body check from the second rope. A little promo from Ron post-match. Uh, Ross said he thought there was a championship in his future. Ron said he was raised in a place where if you didn't fight for what you wanted in this life, you would get nothing. He said he'd never been in a stampede before, but it reminded him reminded him of when you got in a fight on the block when he got home the whole family was waiting for you um what i really liked about ron here was he sounded like a legitimate human while also being a baby face but he wasn't trying to be a baby face he was just being a human being but doing the right thing so he was we talked about this earlier on he wasn't sickly or like you know that sort of over the top but he just sounded real i like i really like this phil what did you think of ron here yeah this same comments as the previous episode, yeah, he, he's very articulate. He sounds believable. Great, great promo as far as promos go. In that he's not the over-the-top shouty. Yeah, you know, he, he gets a little bit forceful, a little bit emotional, but he can do it without starting off just screaming like so many of them do. Yeah, Terry, anything to add before we move on to our Western States Heritage? West, easy for me to say, Western States Heritage Title match. Yeah, Ron's just a, a legitimate athlete, and that yeah. comes across in the promo. And and kind of like if you listen to an old junkyard dog promo back in the eighties, he'd he'd bring up the fact of you know fighting at home or or, or, or you know back backyard brawls and this and that. So uh, so yeah, I thought it was a cool interview. Indeed. Um. So uh, Barry Windham and Larry Zabisco was up after the break. Baby doll was down there, and she got in Windham's face. Um. This was weird because they turned the lights up. Uh, for a little bit and then they turn them down but perhaps because there are a lot of empty seats opposite the hard camera which you wouldn't really get now because promotions have kind of got wise to how they kind of sell tickets from an arena and make sure that the opposite the hard camera is sold first but I, I think that's a relatively new kind of invention um, this match went through multiple breaks uh, but I didn't think this was all that dynamic uh, Wyndham just kept putting on an arm lock um, and I, I just kind of struggle with this stuff um, in terms of those those locks that don't seem to be doing anything or kind of advancing position or is it a submission? Is it not a submission? I, th- I think this is a bit mixed martial arts, 2023 eyes. And I just struggle to suspend my disbelief with that. Um, later on, Wyndham's head was rammed into an uncovered turnbuckle um, and it looked to be it, but Wyndham got his foot on the rope. Uh, with the rest back turned, he ate the steel again on another two occasions, but Larry still couldn't get the job done. So he whacked on a chin lock for what seemed like a month. Um, Larry did a great bump where he got caught upside down facing the outside of the ring after a couple of shots of Wyndham. Uh, Baby Doll then gave Larry something and he drilled Barry with it for the one, two, three. But nosy Tim Horner came down and showed the ref. He got beaten down for his trouble, quite rightly. Uh, referee Randy Anderson got shoved down as well. And Ross told us the referee had reversed the decision. This all went about 15 minutes of television time and was a huge departure from what we've seen recently on the show, primarily driven, I'm sure, by the fact it was taped before the big shows as they so they couldn't push anything. So this was essentially a lame duck episode, and I guess a bit of a lame duck match, albeit 
I thought it was all right, maybe. Terry, what did you think of this? I I, I liked it okay. Uh, I, I guess, again, maybe because of all of the different matches we were having that had no competition involved. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was it, it was like an, an old-school 80s match. Uh, you know, n- nothing like the things you'd see today and definitely not a five-star match. You know, a lot of rest, rest <laughs> no, holes, as people call them. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of rest holes, but 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 again, I thought it was too legit. It was a legitimate competition from two legitimate wrestlers from that time. So and and you know, Larry Zabisco was kind of known for being a staller. You know, he'd spend mm, yeah. hours yeah. outside the ring stalling. So he, he he didn't stall as as long as normal. So I guess I appreciated that. Yeah, indeed, Phil. Anything to add on this uh, this window well, on Zabisco match? I probably like the match a little better than you did, mm. but I'm comparing it to this show and the previous year we watched. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this this episode, it's it's definitely the best match because you do got two competitors in it. Like Terry said, there's a, some competition to this one. Um yeah, Barry Wyndham didn't show off a lot of his skill and talent, like you said, a lot of arm locks, but that was the wrestling Terry and I grew up with. There were a lot of holds uh, yeah. trying to wear somebody's arm down or whatever. And if they're going to cover 15 minutes in this show, which was a long, long match for these two episodes, um, uh, they're going to have to have some of that in there. Zabisco, yeah, he is uh, an excellent heel. Um, previous uh, growing up, I didn't have a lot of experience watching Zabisco. Um other than what we was reading in the wrestling magazines. Yeah. Uh, we'd get, you know, uh, and of course he was famous for his, you know, his big heel turn on, on Bruno. But in the early two thousands, we had a channel on our cable TV that was showing episodes in order about three years straight of the AWA. How interesting. Was, yeah. Is when they were, uh, when they were back in the eighties, they were on ESPN. They had a weekly show, Broadcasting from the Showboat Arena. Showboat, yeah, Las Vegas. Showboat Arena in Las Vegas, right? Well, uh, I hadn't got to see a lot of AWA in my lifetime. I've seen some of it. Uh, There is some crossover. But back in the early 2000s, I watched those three years worth of episodes, which is, you know, you get and just take a couple months to do several times in a row. Mm. And uh, I grew an appreciation for Zabisco. Terry's absolutely right. He'd hop out of the ring a lot and stall. You know, they'd say Zabisco's working his psychology and stuff. He did a little bit of this in this match. And, of course, you know, again, Wyndham's just a great athlete. Now, had he been any shorter, he would not have been able to get his foot on that rope. He was yeah. a long way from the ropes. But uh, decent match. It was decent. Yeah, um, it's interesting about the AWA stuff because it always springs to mind. I know, I know that there's kind of some strange things about where some of these promotions were shown on television. Because um, I know that the world class, Kevin Von Eric is still like a really big deal in Israel because they used to have world class in, on television in Israel. And believe it or not, my dad, I think it would have been late 60s and early 70s, was in Nigeria and Zambia working for a UK bank, a British bank. And they would get on those African TV stations, the AWA. Now, how that was a thing in Zambia and Nigeria, yeah. in not in the yeah. late 60s and 70s, because he knew who Vangania was. It's like we used to get it on the whatever the international thing they had 
that would be there. So yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? Absolutely nuts. How these? Yeah. Why was that at the time? That that thing. But obviously, someone's done a deal, or they stole. Or actually, <laughs> I said someone's done a deal. Someone's probably got a load of. It doesn't necessarily in that in the sixties and seventies. It might be they just got a load of tapes they put on and didn't didn't do a deal. So, but who knows, really? But, but you're right. It's 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 understandable that Israel because likes the WCCW because they made so many trips over there. They went there a mm. lot. And yeah, and, uh, a matter of fact. Uh, I think they hired a couple of their their bodyguards from there came back over. But this match that we just watched, uh, uh, regressing here, but this was the match where Ross mentions the Oklahoma-Texas football rivalry. Okay. He's talking about rivalries and things during that match. So I got to point that out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, back from break, Missy and Magnum were there. And Magnum said the issue between the two was a long way from being sorted. And Missy said she couldn't believe they reversed the decision. And we got a long replay of it, all that I could have done without. Next up, Sting versus Mark Calloway. And I thought, this is Sting versus The Undertaker. And it, but of course, it wasn't that Mark Calloway. Um, and for a second, I thought I'd uncovered a long-lost Sting versus Undertaker match from 1987. I had not. But in actuality, the two did have a match on a house show in uh, in September of 1990 with Sting beating Mean Mark in the Greensboro Coliseum. It's just two months before uh, the future Undertaker's WF debut. Um, Sting won this in short order with the Stinger Splash and the Scorpion Deathlock, uh, which wasn't named as such at the time by the commentators. Um, Phil, any thoughts on Sting versus not that Mark Calloway? Um, I have comments on the uh, the interview that he did, the promo that he did. Uh, oh yeah, you know, should we should we go? Should we move on to that? What? Unless you got anything on the match, Terry, I'll move on and you can. No, on the match. The promo. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I had the same thought from first watched it this time. They said Mark Calloway, and I d- did a double check. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah, certainly caught my attention. Terry, any thoughts on the match? Before I whiz through the uh, the promo. So, so do you remember, uh, you guys? Well, Phil May, when uh, you used to buy videotapes and, and based on match listings, and they would list, can you imagine if you saw a listing for this and saw, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. saw Sting versus Mark Calloway and you bought this F. video based on that yeah. match? <laughs> Big time. Might have dropped 80 bucks just on that right there. Yeah. Do, yep, do you know yep. what? How so I've, I've probably told this story in the podcast, but it's so long ago. So, back in the 90s. They would. There was a company called Silvervision that would release the WWF pay-per-view video cassettes, and they were done in a kind of strange order. So the very first one that was available was SummerSlam 1988, so not a WrestleMania. And then it would. I think it from there it went back to WrestleMania one and would go forward. But as the as the as the old tapes were coming out in the in the catalog, which was a paper catalog, there's no pictures. It would have the match listings, and from the match listings, you could piece together the history. So you'd get like, right, coming, because you there was no way to find this stuff out in like 1991, 1992. Um, there weren't really books on wrestling with wrestling results in it. So you might get, right, okay, why WrestleMania 5 would be old, coming in two months is WrestleMania 5, including Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude for the Intercontinental Title. Okay. And then it's coming in three months would be SummerSlam 89, Rick Rude versus Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Title. Okay. Well, Warrior lost then at some point, probably then. And then he got it back in in that one because the following I've seen him in another tape, but he's got the, so it's like this thing that kids today like you, you just Google something and you can straight away know. But that's how right. I built the kind of yeah. WWF history around the titles from reading those reading those old catalogs. But you're absolutely right, Terry. I think if they could have put Sting versus Mark Calloway on a tape, you might have sold some tapes. But I think you'd had some angry customers of that, unfortunately. Um, 
Ross was with Sting when we came back from an advert and Sting uh, then stole a young kid from the audience with face paint on and wasn't actually very careful with this poor boy. Uh, and I wonder if this is still the moment of this kid's life. And Sting right. said he'd been right. watching. Yeah, Sting said he'd been watching some of the old st- old stampedes and added when he saw Tim Horner smash someone with a bin, he got goosebumps all over him. He added that he'd like to cause a lot of pain like he had in the past and he was getting goosebumps again. I don't know if I like this or I didn't, but it was it was it was all over the place. But I, I think I did like it. Uh, Terry, what did you think of Sting here? Yeah, I'm just curious if that uh, child was a uh, a friend of his or not. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he, he's got a he, he's got a memory for a lifetime, and and hopefully uh, he's uh, as an adult he's been able to find this video. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Phil. What do you think of this? Yeah, I was just wondering. I, I made notes on that too, and y'all covered. But then I wondered after that how many kids rushed out to get their hair cut like that and started yeah. face painting, going to the matches, hoping they could get picked out. Right. And like Terry said, don't know if it was someone uh, the Stinger actually knew or not. Uh, didn't, you know, look like not. But uh, yeah, the would be the biggest moment in that kid's life for a long time. Big time. I'm sure. You, you know, when when that aired and he got to go to school after that, it was probably a big, big deal. Yeah. And big seeing time. his uh, his his paint wasn't paint. It was uh, you notice it was like a sticker hanging off. Yeah, like it's a transfer, I think they used to do, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they did, it was a transfer to save, presumably to save time. Um, some, uh, we've got adverts next. Some poor 40 year old guy got an indigestion from anchovies on a pizza. Um, I can't imagine. Yeah, I, I, what are your thoughts on anchovies on a pizza, guys? Yes or no? No, no. No, no, no I'm a big no. no as well. I can't imagine nope. his bre- breath was too great after that. Uh, but fortunately, his wife had some Pepto in the cupboard. Um, and also then, Final Countdown from Europe was available on vinyl. Now, what a tune that is. Yeah. Oh, man. It's still played a lot at, at events and stuff, especially yeah. on New Year's Eve and things. Yeah. it's Brian Danielson had it in Ring of Honor as his entrance music, but um, they obviously couldn't license it. But occasionally, he does come out to it in AEW, and I believe it's a six-figure fee to Europe to use it. In, in perpetuity on the pay-per-view. So, yeah, what a phenomenal, phenomenal song. Uh, back from break, Chuck West and Phil. Oh, hold up. One other oh, answer. Sorry, Phil, go on. on the Twix commercial. Oh, I'm, okay. Go, go ahead. Yeah. I remember this very well. And at the time, I'm a young man, and the old-timers baseball team are beating the high school team. Yep. And I thought, how ridiculous. Yeah. Now I sympathize the other way. Now that yeah. I watch it, I'm like, well, that's how much time has passed. I'm pulling for the old timers now. Do you know what? As well as a tangent, a Twix, I think, is a very good chocolate bar for a round of golf because it's, it's two fingers, isn't it? Biscuity, right. and you can have a little bite, put it back in your bag, and it's not too right. chocolate. A bit of biscuit. And I know you're a big guy. Have you play play much golf recently? Because it sounds like the weather's been decent there recently. I did not get to. I do when I can, but not for not nice as the weather is. If I'd been retired, I would have played every day this week. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it'd be a good good snack for a for a golf game. I agree. Definitely. Uh, right. So we got Chuck West and Phil Wiley versus the Midnight Express. The Midnights are out there with Jim Cornette and former UWF champion Big Bubba Rogers. This was just a showcase for the Midnights, as you expect, and they won with an eaten half crab. Um, I particularly enjoyed Bobby's superb looking top rope elbow, which Ross described as air eaten. Uh, Ross talks with Cornette about the bunkhouse stampede and Cornette said they were getting warmed up and everyone was getting in with their street clothes and, and on and anything goes. And that is it. 
That is it. So, Phil, final thoughts on this match and this show overall? Yeah, so um, Midnight Express doing what they do. Uh, Ross described it as a perfect three-point landing, which is a you know an airplane term. Uh, during the pin, Jim Cornette, being true to himself, he reaches into the ring with his hand, and as the jobber's getting pinned, he he rubs his head, messes like he's messing up his hair. That <laughs> insult to add an insult to injury, right? That is so amazing. His hair. And then in the uh, in the uh, interview afterwards. Jim Ross talking about the jobber says that's a perfect example of what happens to a fetus that doesn't get enough oxygen. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. True to Jim Ross form, right? But uh, yeah, it was just another squash match to so I can have some more commercial time. Yeah, indeed. Terry, any final thoughts on this? Actually, the show overall, but I will I will come back to you both for some more thoughts before we get out of it. But anything on the on the show? Yeah, I, I think this was a little bit better than than the last one uh and and again i'm kind of leaning with phil i I think because of the the zabisco match uh it it just gave a little bit more uh for for me um but uh but yeah it's just uh is what it is It, it it uh it's our promotion dying a slow death here these last couple weeks and uh you know, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's sad. It's yeah, sad. it is sad. And another thing that is sad is this is it, Terry and Phil. This is it. And I, I really want to thank you both for all of your incredible contributions to the show. The best thing, I never, I never really thought about this would be four years long. And I never really thought when I started that I would get to meet people from, you know, people that live this stuff and, and from, you know, different, completely different parts of the world. Crikey, what, we got 5,000 miles between us, but you know, it's been incredible getting to know you both, you guys. I'm sure we'll keep in touch. And hopefully at some point, I'll either be in your vicinity for something or you'll be in mine because the beers are definitely on me for all of your efforts um, over over time. If you're ever in London, you know where I am and I'll, I will show you the sites and um, I'll make sure you have a heavy head the next day as well. Um, but Phil, any any sort of final words on, on Mid-South, what this meant to you, you know, et cetera? You, you, the floor is yours before we get on out of here. I, I do. I do have something I want to say. Two things. And um, first of all, greatly appreciate your many, many hours of hard work. Um, even if I never got to host, then which I've had. Of course, if Dan asked, I've hosted one more time than he has. I've got 50-something. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's closer to 15 or 20, but co-hosting. But... I appreciate so much you doing this and, and it got so big, you know, to be able to have Bill Watts on and Eric mm-hmm. Watts on and, and Ricky Morton on. And so it's just a testimony to how well you've done and the effort you put into it. Thank you. Now, let me tell you what it's meant to me and how it's helped me actually work through some grief and how important this has been to me now. As a, as a young child, you know, uh, I was one of those that I had a few buddies that liked wrestling, but most of us were made fun of, you know, mm. uh, the uncle comes through the room, all oh, that's so fake, you know, and of course you smarten up gradually over time and then you still, you know, it's, it's, it's still fun to watch. But um, when I started watching Mid-South Wrestling, I was in junior high, right? Or even younger with the Tri-State Wrestling where we'd see Watts and some of those and it grew in the mid, you know, Watts took it over. I was in in grade school and junior high. By the time this episode aired, 
that we covered today, I'm married with two kids, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a big part of my life. Now, when I got married uh, at 19, um, my wife came from Arkansas. She didn't, she wasn't a wrestling fan and she just knew it was all fake. Well, she got very, very interested. We watched, mm-hmm. we watched mid South together. We'd go to the matches together. We spent many of our, um, I'd mentioned before new year's Eve celebrations were down at the myriad gardens and right you know you, you leave the married after the match and it's the big new year's eve celebration going she became a big big fan uh especially she's fans of magnum ta and terry taylor you know i want the watch uh, right right uh <laughs> absolutely no you're right uh there, there's nothing to it and she had another couple that uh, she worked with and they'd go to the matches with us and and they were great times and then we had two sons and they um uh about the time I'm like, man, the, the WWF is getting too cartoony for me. It was about the time they're starting to, to watch. Of course, I'm on a ton of their residence. I, I kept, I, you know, saw quite a few uh, WWF and, and, and WWE episodes and had two sons that really liked it, one more than the others, my son Ben, and and he he really, really liked it. And so we would start going to some of the WWE events. Um, then after being married uh, 23 years, my, my wife passed. Um, and so, um, of course, Mid-South had, had passed by that time, but it wasn't, it, it was just when the internet first came on and it was, it was kind of hard to watch some of those because I was watching shows that we'd attended together. Yeah. You know, so, so it, was, it was a little bit of a struggle, but, um, my oldest son, he's really big into WWF, just massive fan. And so, we would start going to, uh, we went to anytime they came to Oklahoma City, the area or Tulsa, you know, where there's Monday Night Raw or, or whatever, we would we would go attend, you know. And so uh, obviously during the years of um, The Rock and Stone Cold Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, all those got, you know, watching all of that with him. And then he had an undiagnosed heart condition we didn't know about. And in two, uh, just few years ago he just dropped dead right in front of us so i lost my wrestling buddies yeah you know and so it at times it would be difficult to watch but uh, when i found your podcast uh you know it's great to hear folks from another country being interested in a product terry and i knew that we had watched the best wrestling in our lives and people yep. today didn't get to see it they didn't get to they didn't know anything about it so it was it was wonderful to to uh, hear your people talking about that didn't get to live it, have appreciation for it now. And so it got me um, over the hump where I could start watching these shows again and enjoy them again. That's amazing, Phil. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's been yeah. a healing process. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's in- incredible. I, Quarky, I don't even know what to say after that. Follow that, Terry. Follow that. <laughs> well, well, j- just like with the podcast, I, I could never follow you guys. Uh, I, I liked being the uh, uh, being the guy who who learned more about Mid South just by being on the podcast with you. I I lived a lot of it, but you know my memory is so bad, and 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 there's things I've forgotten, and 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 but much like Phil, it 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 was so cool to be on here with you because. Again, I didn't have a lot of people to talk about this, the, the greatest uh, 
promotion in the history of wrestling with, you know, uh, the, you know, most of my friends in everyday life don't watch wrestling. And, and so I would have to seek out uh, internet websites and, and things like that to, to talk Mid-South wrestling. So to be able to come on here and, and talk it with two of my new friends and uh, it, it's, it's just special. And, and, you know, I, the, the, the same invitation goes out to each of you. If you, if you guys are out ever on the coast, whether it's New Orleans or Biloxi or Pensacola or a Mobile, please, please, by all means, uh, re- reach out because I would love to have a have a couple cocktails with you and and uh, and and just because because I, I, it, it, I do feel like friends and and even Absolutely, though we've, yeah. we, we, we've we've never met in person, it's it's been uh, you know it's been super special to be part of this. Uh, you know, I I don't contribute nearly as much to the podcast as you guys you're too hard but, on yourself terry you're too hard well, you're shortchanging yourself uh people like listening to you and i appreciate your enthusiasm enthusiasm that you maintained over these years you know you don't hide it you know uh you're a prominent figure in your community being the basketball coach you know but you're not shy about your passions and you know this started when in the early days of steven's podcast uh i in one of the mid-south facebook groups you posted a picture that you had taken of ted dibiase outside the arena and i saw that i said there's somebody that's been to the matches Mm. i want to talk to him and steven i reached out to him it wasn't but just a little bit he was so excited to talk to somebody he called me on the phone yes and we <laughs> talked for an hour we never met or yeah. facebook friends never talked he called we talked about mid-south wrestling for an hour which was uh and, and he sells himself short because his memory is pretty darn good and he shared a lot of stuff with me back there on the phone call uh, but I could tell he had been to probably a lot more matches than I'd been. And it was a pleasure to talk to him and to absolutely consider both of y'all friends. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Hey, hey, here's a unique sidebar about that photo. So the photo Phil's talking about, I've posted it forever. It's DiBiase smacking a guy in the, in the parking lot. Uh, some guy got in his face. Well, Tom Pritchard was riding with DiBiase at the time. And that's Tom Pritchard's first experience in being a heel. Okay. So, so the so the unique thing about it is uh, Tom Pritchard, I sent it to him one day in social media, and he commented back and told me a little bit about you know his his experience with that, and uh, and then then on Tom Pritchard's uh, podcast, he mentions you know hey a fan reached out and sh- shared that picture, so so it's cool that that picture from I guess 84 or so is still being still still being talked about to this day. And and uh so yeah just one of one of the many cool experiences I've I've had uh you know with with Mid South. Yeah, and I, I, as I said, I can't thank you guys enough. And I, I want to be really clear about something as well because you know I, I've um I found fun in some of these episodes clearly over the last four years and obviously the last probably six months of this hasn't been you know this is not the promotion that you guys you know loved and that was mid-south and was what's but the bottom line is there's a reason why people talk about mid-south wrestling there's a reason why i started this podcast and i didn't choose awa or world class i chose mid-south because i'd heard this is the best episodic 
pro wrestling television that there's ever been. And I can honestly say, we've talked about this. If this was in my area, I'd have bought a ticket for every single show back then. All of the stars that came through this promotion, this was absolutely phenomenal stuff. And I will, I, I, I will maintain to this day, and this is the thing, I talked off air about a guest I was hoping to have on the final uh, episode, which I, I won't mention again, just in case it happens. But I maintain that if they'd stayed on TBS in 1985, I do think that Watts would have overtaken Crockett because I think they expect their expansion in terms of areas would have been quicker. So they wouldn't have been so exposed to the economic difficulties in their home bases. And that would have been the second promotion. The UW, UWF change may have happened sooner. And that would have been the thing because I think creatively and everything around it, the way that he set up with the bookers changing, et cetera, this was far away ahead of the Crockett stuff that was around this time as well. So this was a fantastic wrestling promotion. And I've had an absolute ball watching it. Gentlemen, I've got to edit this, get it up. That's a bit carry on there. Uh, but yeah, so I, I appreciate you both very much. And I'm sure we'll catch up at some point soon. I'll, the floor is yours. Any final words before we get on out of here? No, just thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. Terry? Yeah, so so you know, I'll, I've always got something to add. Most of the time, it's useless. But so, <laughs> living my hobbies while the Saints are off this week, I do have a fantasy football team. And so, one, I got these. Hang on, let me get it. Let me get it up here. My uh, wife and I's home base travel agency. We've got lovely. a toes in the sand travel championship belt, and I'm trying to win this. And also, I'm into my sports collectibles. You know that. So, and and here we go. Coach sees collectibles. I love them. Football champion. So, so I'm working my tail off to to add these two belts to my collection. So, I love the 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 first one is kind of like what would you call the blue on the first one? Kind of sky blue. The blue is incredible on that belt. It it, it is because it's uh, we've got a cruise ship on here and a mug of beer and a sea turtle. Because yeah. it's for our, our, uh, our travel agency, I wanted the belt to be kind of water blue. So, uh, so yeah, yeah that, that I, love that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, have a wonderful Sunday, uh, the rest of it. Um, stay stay on if you're listening, because I'm going to do a very quick whistle stop of the, the second to last episode with anything key on there, which I think will be very little. But gentlemen, thank you so much again. So we're back. Just me. I haven't done this for a little while. This is going to be really quick because I suspect there's not too much of interest on this show. So from December the 5th, 1987, there's a massive spoiler for our Starcade review. So if you don't want to know what happens in the Starcade main event, listen away now. Listen away. Is that, a, is that a word? Is that an expression? Don't know. Here we go. Let's hear from the winner of the Starcade main event. JJ Dillon, Mr. Jim Crockett. No doubt about it, one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Well, Tony Schiavone, and you've seen some great ones because the nature boy has been in a lot of classics. And there's no need blowing my horn any more than I already have. From now on, it's cut and dried. I'm going to be the most obnoxious, overbearing human being on the face of this earth because I told you so. Slick Rick. Woo! The Nature Boy, Space Mountain, style of profiling, five times, five times. There's a million wrestlers, past and present, that would have loved to have been there once. I've been there five times in the National 
Wrestling Alliance, the Big Daddy. We're talking Road Warriors. We're talking Four Horsemen. We're talking Steve Williams. We're talking Call-Offs. We're talking the best this sport has to offer. And I'm standing here telling you unequivocally that I am the very best. And in 1988, Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, Steve Williams, Sting, Steiner, Hayes, Garvin, it makes no difference. If you want to find out once and for all woo, where you stand in the real world of professional wrestling, then put your name on the dotted contract because Ric Flair and the National Wrestling Alliance and all the big stars are going to ride higher and higher than anything going in this sport today. I'm Ric Flair. I'm with the Four Horsemen. We are the best unit there is. We are the franchise. And the Horsemen, our Tully, Luger, and Ric Flair are going to take it all the way to the top, whether you like it or not, because diamonds are forever. And so are the Four Horsemen. Woo! And the majority of this episode is basically pushing the bunkhouse stampede, but there is an interesting promo coming up from Dusty Rhodes, which I'll share, and then I'll let you all get on I'll out I'll take this here. opportunity to, to thank Jim Crocker Promotions in the wrestling world throughout and the National Wrestling Alliance for tonight was a, a big moment in Dusty Rhodes' life. I want to say one thing, first of all, at this uh, post-game thing here, that Lex Luger is probably the greatest athlete in this country. And the lessons that he learned tonight with Dusty Rhodes, the legend himself, will go down in history and he will never make the mistakes again. Lex Luger will probably be unbeatable because as being in the ring on this occasion with him, he was at his best. He is a great, tremendous athlete. I'm as tired as I've ever been in 16 years of wrestling. I'm very tired. It comes time now to start thinking about laying this old body down. So I'm going to go home and think about it. And if Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, has to retire in 1988, then I thank God for the re relationship I've had with the public and with Jim Crockett Promotion. Thank you very much. So I think that's quite enough of promos from the show. I was going to wear a Lex Luger uh, little thing, but I think, is it fair to say that none of us need that in our lives at this point? two and two hours and something in so we're gonna leave it there we'll be back on christmas day for starcade 1987 and then from that day onwards the 12 days of pro wrestling moments leading all the way to january the 5th for mid-south moments the final the other 10 shows that we bring out will be surprises so keep an eye on our social media for what we bring out subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts thanks again to terry thanks again to phil and we shall speak to you all again very very soon